0: So we're in. A, we're continuing in this series on on get used to different, and we're going to be talking about being comforted today. But um, I, I want to stay with that, that whole get used to different thing. Kurt's got a great shirt on over here with get used to different on it. Uh, the idea that somehow or another, uh, our encounter with Christ makes us different. And there's a great scene at the opening of this uh, uh, episode two of the second season, where uh, Nathaniel, and, I mean Philip and Matthew are are talking and. Philip gets introduced in this episode, if you're not familiar, Philip is uh, often called in Scripture and other, and in tradition, Philip the Evangelist. He actually has been a disciple of John's in the wilderness, and now has come to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there's this marvelous little scene where he and Matthew are walking down the road, having a conversation, so I want to open with that. What's up with you and Simon? He doesn't like me. He sees me as his enemy. Why? Why? As a tax collector. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He's everyone's enemy. That doesn't shock you. I was something else once, too. Once you've met the Messiah, Am is all that matters. Next time he rides you, remind him that the people out there, they want to define us by our past, our sins. Out there where? With the sleepers, but we're different, but awake. I love that little passage, right? The people out there, they want to define us by our past, by our sins. And surely we understand that we've been in those positions where folks have refused to let us move forward in life because of who we have been. And oftentimes we do that to ourselves. In fact, if I, if I was to t- ask you, tell me about yourself, probably most of you would begin by telling me your history about who you've been in the past. But Philip's point is that once we come into relationship with Christ, it's Christ who defines us, not our past. And so once you've met the Messiah, am is all that matters, being a follower of the disciples. And I want you to remember Mary's statement to Nicodemus, how that comes about. She was talking with him, and Nicodemus was asking how it happened. And she said, I don't know. All I know is I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. When we encounter Christ, it's time to get used to different. Let's pray. Mighty God, we come this morning and we ask your presence to be with us. We ask your grace to rest upon us and to open us up to what you would say to us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so through this, uh, this series we're, we're getting a picture really of, of what the community of Christ is supposed to look like. And to some extent it's kind of forming. You'll notice as we move through this you'll see the disciples struggling with that as they're trying to figure all of that out. But the picture that Jesus would paint of it uh, to a large extent is what we refer to as the Beatitude. And this week the Beatitude we're looking at is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, I want to say a couple of things about that before we go any further. Uh, first off, m- in my memory at least, when I've read through the Beatitudes over the years, this one to me, uh, in a lot of ways, has always sounded like kind of a duh statement. Because, you know, who, who's going to get comforted? I mean, the people who, everything, if everything's fine and hunky-dory in life and you're happy and everything's going great, no one's going to comfort you because you don't need comforting. It's only those that are sorrowing where things have gone wrong that receive comfort. So there's some kind of a logical connection there in my mind that that, of course, you know, well, who else would be comforted but those who mourn? But really there's a deeper sense in this when you remember that word blessed is about being in this place where you're perfectly satisfied in Christ, that there's something about moving into that place of mourning and discovering God's presence with us that is a deep blessing to us even as we are in the midst of sorrow. And we oftentimes think of mourning and grief as being attached to the to, uh, death, somebody, loss of somebody that we love that has died. And, and we certainly have experienced that. I mean, we did a service just here yesterday at 11 o'clock. So that's not unusual. We know that and we've had a lot of that within this congregation. And sometimes there's even kind of a collective sense of grief that comes around because so many people have uh, passed away in this period of time and, and all of us are touched in one way or another. So there's kind of a collective grief about that. But we don't just mourn the death of someone. We mourn other things in life as well that are losses. Again, this is Philip and Matthew walking on the road. Everybody in your old life is playing a different game than you now. You get it? No. Everyone speaks in riddles. I can understand esoteric ideas. They're not beyond me. Of course not. You'll probably pick it up faster than the rest of us. I'm sorry, man. I don't mean to sound like an oracle here. It's a force of habit. Spend all your time with a rogue preacher in the wilderness and you get to be a little obtuse. They're simple ideas for complicated people. I just. In your obtuse language, here's a circle. It represents everything in the world and all the people that have ever been. And that's me. That's how I feel. I love that. Here's a circle that represents all the people in the world and everyone that's ever been. And here's me you ever felt like that you know Matthew's family has rejected him he's left behind the job that he had and the people that he knew through that I mean he has stepped outside of the whole previous circle of his life and now he's with this group of disciples not all of whom are cotton into him and really want him there and so he feels out here I mean he's lost all of his support all of his friends ever feel that way I mean, one of the common experiences I find when I talk to people who are struggling with any kind of loss is this sense of, of being isolated and alone because the rest of the world is continuing to spin and people are going about their business and everybody's doing their kind of thing. And here I am where my whole world has been disrupted. And it may have been the death of someone you know or love. It may have been the loss of a career. It may have been a financial crash. The divorce and breakup of a marriage. All of those are things that we mourn and we grieve over. And they all make us feel like, oh, we're, we're out here. The rest of the world is carrying on, but we're just out here. I mean, the writers of the, of the series uh, kind of defined grief and talked about it as, um, please, as the soul's recognition that the world isn't what God created it to be. Just realizing that this is is not what God intended for us to be in relationships that are harmonious and where we are all connected together. And so often when we're in those times of loss, those relationships feel strained and separated and we feel alone and, and isolated out here all by ourselves. It's a refrain I hear over and over and over again from people going through times of loss over whatever the situation is. It's not simply death. It's all these other kinds of ways that we get separated. Now, we're going to meet Nathaniel in this episode. And, uh, and the writers of this have chosen to make Nathaniel an architect, The Bible does not tell us that. We just know that Nathaniel is in some kind of mourning. We don't really know what it is about. But but in the show, they've chosen to make him an architect. And and he's uh, been doing these designs for buildings and working for the Romans to kind of establish his reputation and his career. But his dream, his passion is to design and build synagogues where people come and worship God. And in the, the scene where we're meeting him, as he is working on this Roman building, the building that's being built collapses. And in an instant, Nathaniel's career is ended, and his dreams are destroyed. And we meet him as he's sitting under the fig tree, and he is mourning and grieving the loss of that future that he had planned. This was done for you. (laughs) Blessed are you. Blessed are you. God. For this one. <laughs> Here my prayer, O oh Lord. Hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For you. Do not hide your face from me. Do you see me? Do you see me? Where are you? Why aren't you here? Do you know what's going on? You know, here's the whole world, and we're out here, and and is God even listening? Does God even care? Anybody been there? Those moments when life overwhelms us and we begin to feel like not only are we out of touch with the world, but God himself is ignoring us. So we had a story in the Old Testament that we talked about uh, earlier in the year which was uh, when uh, Hagar is, is thrown out from the camp of Abraham and Sarah because she's discovered that Sarah has, decided she, you know, has learned that she's pregnant and does not want her there. And she's out in the desert feeling outside the circle. And as she's out there, God comes to her and speaks to her, and she refers to God as Adonai El Roy, the God who sees me the God who comes to me even in my time of distress, the God who knows what's going on with me and sees me and understands and has not forgotten me. In 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross published a book called On Death and Dying. And in that, she talked about the five stages of grief. And this has become fairly common uh, and and is used in a lot of different groups, this kind of of movement. And and at first, everybody kind of assumed that you, you... Work through these things like, you know, denial, you check that off, anger, you check that off, bargain, you know, and that's, and, and but the truth is, you know, it, it, it's all mixed up and you go back and forth and they all overlap and it's kind of a, a big mishmash of all of this that you work your way through. But one of the things that, that we learned as we began to, to talk to people about all this was all through this, you know, knowing that someone was with them was key, knowing that they weren't alone was key to allowing us to heal and to recover and to move forward in life. And and the message of Scripture is that that when we're in those places where we think we're outside the circle, God has not forgotten us. To the people that were enslaved in Egypt, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. To His people when they were in exile... I'll provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. I mean, God sees. God hears, God understands, and God is with us. And not only does God in those moments bring comfort to us, but through us, He brings comfort to others. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Henry Nowlin wrote a book called The Wounded Healer, and he talked about the ways in which our wounds become the ways through which we understand other people's suffering and thus become conduits of God's grace to them and that the same grace we've received, we extend to them. It's, it's been kind of the basis of that understanding, has been the basis for all of those, those different kinds of support groups, whether they're, they're from AA groups to grief support groups to divorce recovery groups. There are all these places where people come together with their common wounds. Because just like a physical injury heals but leaves a scar, a a spiritual and emotional injury heals but leaves a scar. And those of us who've been through that particular trial always have the ability to share our consolation with those who are going through it now. It's one of the ways God reaches out because God doesn't forget us. God doesn't ignore us. God doesn't hide his face from us. But God sees us. In the end, God's plan is that that all that is will be made right. And there will be a day in the future where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God wipes away every tear from our eyes. But in the meantime, in the meantime, God reminds us that God is with us even in this imperfect world that we're living in, God is with us and God's love rests upon us. And in those moments when we feel like here's the circle and here we are, God's love expands that circle to draw us in. So Philip is a friend with Nathaniel, and this is the scene where Philip brings Nathaniel to meet Jesus. Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. You know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful, and Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him. Look at me. When you were in your lowest moment and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. You oh, are the son of God, the king of Israel. I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. Because I said to you, I saw you under the victory, you believe? Huh? <laughs> you are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's me, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got that. Good. I know you like to be clear. I did not turn my face from you. I saw you. even in those moments where we feel like here's the world and everything in it and we're out here god does not turn his face away from us god sees us god's love reaches out to us questions for the week in what ways have you experienced grief in your life and how have you responded to that and in a lot of the scriptures we've read What can you know about God's favor toward those who grieve? And have you ever experienced God acting in that way in your time of grief? Does knowing that Jesus experienced grief himself help you deal with your own grief? And do you really trust that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes? even in those moments when we are at our lowest God does not turn his face from us God sees us God's love is with us and that's the (laughs) am that's the am that is all that matters let's pray mighty God We live in a broken world and we have broken relationships and brokenness in ourselves. And sometimes we begin to feel like the whole world is going on about its business and we are pushed off and left out to the side alone. So remind us that even in those moments when when we're at our lowest, those moments when we think we've been forgotten, those moments when we think we've been abandoned, that you have not turned your face from us, that you have seen us, that you are with us, and your love surrounds us and brings the greatest comfort of blessing to all that we are. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.